1 Samuel chapter 17, we find David was introduced to King Saul in chapter 16. And to things were dynamics were changing, things were taking place. Uh, God was uh, anointing uh, David to be, to be king uh, as a young shepherd boy, probably in just getting into before puberty time frame, 10 to 12 years of age. Then we see King Saul, the Spirit of God leaving him, and now he's in the position, but no power. And when you're in a position that God was with you, and then leaves you, and that it becomes a great struggle doing those same things. And we will see that play out here even a little bit more clear as we see the famous uh, uh, story of David and Goliath of much of the childhood story, uh, but also for us as adults as well, of as we read the scripture, may we get clarity on some of the childhood memories of being taught David and Goliath, and let's just make sure we understand what the scripture says about David and Goliath, and what it does not say. Now it appears David was used there in chapter 16 at a young age because someone recognized he had a great voice and he could play the harp. Or maybe it was just playing the harp and he didn't sing at all. But whatever he was, he was a, mus a musician and used as a musician to come in and to calm David down because as the spirit left, this man came unglued and, and was dealing with uh, a spirit about him, a, a very depressing, very uneasy and distra distra a distressing spirit, it says there in chapter 16, verse 23. And what helped him was David coming in and playing the music and the harp to calm his spirit down. Now, when you read chapter 16 alone, you would think that David was there and always stayed there and never left. But we also know in the scripture he left after playing how many times it took. He went back to be that shepherd boy. Now there's a gap of time now, and now he's coming back on the scene more as a young man. Not quite yet to that 20 year of age, because at 20, he would have gone to war which is what we're seeing tonight, there seemed to be a, a, a time where when King David came on, the Philistines were at bay. Then all of a sudden, <clears throat> during this period of time, there was an uprising of the Philistines with against the Israelites, which is where we see that famous battle uh, in the Valley of uh, Eli. And so when you see this, we're going to find out that David's coming back on the scene. He's grown up. And, uh, and more mature now, not only in stature, but looks, but also God's still working in his life to prepare him for a time like this. There's a gap there. So as we look here, First Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 10 we'll take, because it tells you the one kind of like the, 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 the Philistine Goliath coming into play here and sets the stage. So now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered together in Sakoff, which belongs to Judah. 
And they encamped between Succoth and Azekah and Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up a battle array against the Philistines. Now the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and the valley between them. Now pause right there. When Kathleen and I had an opportunity, a blessing to go to Israel, we were in that valley. We were able to be in right where this part of the region. And you think of mountains, you think really high mountains, but they're really just kind of rolling hills uh, that were there, and, and there were, that was their mountains, that was the hills they were standing on, and, and the valley is quite um, wide and flat, uh, this was taking place, so don't picture very high mountains and, and coming, come down the cliffs and scale the cliffs, no, it was a rolling hills that we would see much around here from a distance. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and, an, and he was armed with a coat of mail and the, or armor. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor armor on his legs and a bronze javel between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and an iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. That's the armor bearer that he had. They referred to here as the shield bearer went before him carrying his shield for him. Uh, to Goliath, for Goliath. And then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you a servant of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me if he is able to fight with me and kill me. Then we, ha we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. So I picture these two different armies and the two different parts of the side of this very flat kind of valley perspective. And they're lining up along the, the hills. You can see for miles down that valley. So uh, at the, when we were there, not much of trees, but it might have been trees there or not during those days. But either way, they were there, and it appears they were pretty equal in battle because if the Philistines thought they were really overpowering a larger army, they probably wouldn't have waited to go against the Israelites or vice versa. So they seemed to be at a stalemate, and, and to find this stalemate, they decided to throw out your best man. And we'll have the one-on-one -on -one battle. We'll figure out who's going to be the servants of another. And that was the, that was the deal, is, is that this uh, Goliath is laying out there representing the Philistines. Now, this was not some tiny little guy, as we all know through the stories. And you've heard here everything from he was uh, eight, eight foot five inches all the way up to nine feet nine inches. Either way, he was a big man, <laughs> quite large in stature. Uh, we certainly know that in this, this green rolling hills surrounding the, this valley of Elah, and even still today, they, 
they witness one of the most remarkable battles here in the, in the, in the Bible. And it began when a Philistine contested and, and pushed and, and asked and, and drew and said, this is what we're going to try to do. And of course, they felt very confident when you're big in stature and the size and the weapons. Look at how much it was just on this body of, of a warrior. This is a huge guy. And so when you look at this, and of Goliath from Gath, we knew that from Joshua 11:22 says that people known as the Anakim were still in these in the Joshua's days, and that was some 400 years before this taking place. But it shows that these giants were still, after 400 years, present on, in the land. But the size and the shape of this man, with all of the weaponry. No one's to match this. I mean, think about this. Just, just Goliath's armor around, they estimate to be somewhere around 125 pounds. Just the armor. Then you have this wooden beam that sat right there between his shoulders going straight up and down when he pulled that baby out. They had a spearhead that's made of about 15 pounds on the spearhead alone. Now try that going through someone, a 15 pounds in the beam that's attached to it. So total, their estimations around somewhere in the neighborhood almost to 200 pounds on this big boy going into battle. Who needs a tank? And so what, this was a big man. He was strong enough to carry this, these weapons. And of course, he had this token probably little guy with him carrying his shield for just for uh, aesthetics or something. I don't know what that purpose of that man was for. But it must have been, you know, the shield is, you know, inconvenient unless you're going to go into battle here. But he got, Goliath made an issued a bold challenge to the army of Israel. And he's referred to as the champion. And the Hebrew word for champion means a middleman or a man between two. So he's between the two uh, armies and they're asking for their champion and they're going to duel it out. There's no ring. There's no referee. Not just, you know, just gloves on hands and you can kick and throw punches and put on some moves. No, you're not going to do that with all that armor on. This is all just take your head off kind of moment and spare you with the biggest thing I can find. And uh, so here's what we're finding is that hand-to-hand -hand combat is what he's anticipating. And look at verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were what? Dismayed. Or another term, word is distressed. <laughs> you would think they'd be distressed. And greatly afraid. Why? Because they knew what they looked like. Who was the biggest one in their army? More than likely, the biggest one that even we noted is the fact that King Saul, who was supposed to lead them into battle, who was head, head and shoulders over all of them, he wasn't stepping up, it appears, but he was just as afraid as a king as the rest of the army was in, because they understood what this Goliath's intention and the issue of the challenge now, they are now having to step up with a champion. And who is going to do that? So what's interesting is, you know, enemy knows how to come against you. When the enemy comes up and you're faced with an enemy, a giant in your life, what is that giant, what is that situation, what is that problem set is going to do? What is it going to do? It's going to, enemy is going to constantly push your buttons and constantly throw things about how 
insecure you are, or weak you are, or incapable, inadequate, and all of these things to tell you because the situation, the giant you're facing in your life seems to be so much bigger than you know who you are. And I think that's the intention here. He came out all displayed out there with everything I have, like a tank coming out on feet. And he wanted to set fear in the minds of the people. Because if the enemy can put a fear in your mind and distress you in any way, they already are starting to win without even having to put hand to hand at all. If the enemy can get you to be distressed and get you greatly afraid of the situation at hand, the enemy has a foothold has already got you backpedaling. If you just look at the situation face to face, if you lean on your own understanding, if you're just looking at the flesh like you're seeing the giant literally in front of you, or maybe it's just made up in your mind, it will paralyze you. It will freak you out. It will definitely keep you from moving forward. Matter of fact, you will want to run and not do what you know you need to do because God's called you to deal with this enemy. And so he's trying to demoralize the, the opponent and strike fear in the hearts of the people. And it looks like he's doing a great job with this. Because even when Saul heard this, Saul had a special reason to be afraid. Why? Because Goliath was a giant among the Philistines and he was head and shoulders over all the other Israel, over all the Israelite men. So the expectation was pretty heavy on him that he was the one that's going to go out and do the battle. That's a lot of pressure. But as the battle loomed, you can see that Saul's state and the people's state moved into this, this. At one time, he was that fierce, successful military leader, and they praised him for that. Remember that, back in chapter 14, verse 52. But notice now the difference is, is then the God spirit was upon him. Then now the spirit is not upon him. The, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul there in verse six, chapter 16, verse 14. And so as the spirit left Saul, so did his courage and faith. His courage and faith left him. He was now just completely relying upon his own abilities and intellect. Verse 12. Now, when David saw the son of this Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons, and the men was old, advanced in years, in the, in the days of Saul, the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of these three sons who went to the battle was Eliab, the firstborn. Next to him is Abendadab, and the third is Shem, Shemah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So we see here in the verses of these, it reminds us where David is taking place. It gives us some names of the three sons old enough to go to battle, they're 20 or older. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul, remember, to feed. So he's going, playing harp, and then go back and do the sheep. But obviously there was some time uh, that he was called to the palace, and sometimes he did not. 
But David was the youngest. David is said to be the youngest of the eight sons of Jesse. Yet in Psalm 89, 27, calls David God's firstborn. Preeminence, or a, number one in, in, in the position that God put him to be put in. Demonstrating that the firstborn is as much a title and a concept as a description of the birth order. Yes, he was the last in the birth order, but in God's eyes, he was really leading the family. That's what God's calling on his life was to be. So Paul calls Jesse here in Colossians 1.15, firstborn over all creation. He isn't trying to say that Jesus is created before who uh, had a beginning. He's simply just saying the same terminology that Jesus' preeminence, pre, pre, uh, pre prominence in of, of creation, and now he's using the same concept here we see back in Psalm with David is the firstborn or the preeminence or the prominence of that family line of eight sons. And we see that obviously because God anointed him uh, clearly over those other sons. There was no question. Well, if they would have saw me, they would have picked me, I'm sure. No, you went from oldest to youngest. There was clarity that, uh, that David was to be anointed as king. Verse 16, And then the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening, twice a day. And then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers... And ephah uh, of this dry grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. He's going to be a spy. <laughs> Dad's like, oh, you can spy out what's going on and tell me what's happening. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting of the, with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to, to the fight and shouting for the, for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in a battle array, army against army. So 40 days this has been going on. 40 days. Now in the scriptures, when you see these numbers, you've got to ponder a little bit on these numbers. And as you know, 40 days should be ringing a bell in your mind because the number means probation or trial or testing. It can emphasize trouble and hardship is when you see the word 40. Obviously, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 days. He was being tested in trial. In the New Testament, we see Jesus tempted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. We see 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. There, that's a common. There was even a few more that are in the Bible about 40 days of timing, of, of, of testing, a time of, 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 of trials and hardships and, and those things. We see that same thing here in the scripture. But it came to that point at 40 days, there's a huge trial, and God's perfect timing is right then. That he now brings and draws David to the scene. Think about that. 
He's bringing, drawing him at the perfect time, at the end of these 40 days, of uh, this trial and the tribulation, the, 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 the uh, challenge, the trouble, the hardship that's going on between God's people and the enemy here. And God has David leave his task, his work at this moment, left the sheep with the keeper. He wasn't irresponsible. He didn't sit there and say, oh, I got to go. And, uh, but, you know, to the sheep, you'll fend for yourself. I'm sure another shepherd will come along and, and, and take over the sheep somewhere at some point. But I got other things to do. I got other plans. No, no. When God is moving, he always replaces before you leave so that it, his people are always taken care of. And in this case, the sheep were taken care of. For his now, keep in mind, David is too young to serve in the army. That's why he's not with his other three older brothers. But he's very mature in his faith for Jehovah. Tremendous faith. Mature faith. Physically, he's young. But his maturity in faith is very deep and mature. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight. He was right there. There's this whole battle. Everyone's dressed up, ready to just, you can hear the groaning. You're, I mean, you just know that's ready to just psyching up, ready to go hand-to-hand -hand combat. And as they're gathered on the hillside, screaming and shouting and intimidating, Goliath showing up, parading himself, shouting insults. Israelites are slinking away <laughs> and scared and ashamed. We see in verse 22, David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. All the Israeli army was dreadfully afraid. All of them. All your buddies, to the left, to the right of you, in front of you, back of you, they all were afraid, ready to, to run. Not one of them was going to take on Goliath. So what happens? Verse 25. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. Ooh, there's going to be a cash award here. And give him his daughter. What? I'm going to be the son-in-law of the king? I'm going to get the princess? That's a nice little bride, little incentive. And, gave, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel? What? No paying taxes? My whole family benefits this. My dad, what an incentive. Three-part bride placed out there to incentivize someone to take the risk. And David spoke to the men who stood with him, saying, What shall be done by, for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 
And the people answered him in the same manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Think about this. David hasn't been sitting there for 40 days, going in and out and, and being worn out and feared. and come. He's coming in from a perspective of God's perspective through this whole thing. He's seeing this giant. Everyone else is focusing on the giant and became very fearful and distressed, dismayed. I mean, if you focus on the giant in front of you, that's what's going to happen. But not David. David didn't call him a friend. He called him an uncircumcised Philistine. He didn't say anything about who's defying man, who's defying us, who's defying me. No, he's saying, who's defying the armies of the living God? This man is going against God. It wasn't about him, and it wasn't about the arm, Israelite army. He didn't focus on any of those guys. He's like, you're literally going against God. And you are not anywhere near a, a, a child of God, let alone in an Israelite. You're a defiled, uncircumcised Philistine going against God and his people. He, David spoke truth and what the focus was on. It was, the focus is on the reputation of Israel and the honor of the living God here. Now who's going to be the strongest to take out Goliath? See, David was a man after God's own heart. David, to be a man after God's own heart, he cares about the things God cares about. You want to know if you have a heart after God's own heart? Do you care about what God cares about? He saw this problem from a spiritual terms, not a material, not a fleshly terms. He didn't care how big Goliath was because he knew how big God was. He didn't care how powerful and how destructive Goliath could be. He understood how much God is in control. David saw the things that the Lord's perspective, you must and I must, always when we face with some challenges and these giants and situations in your life, you must have the Lord's perspective. But the men of Israel saw things only from man's perspective. And when you only look at it from a man's perspective, you will be distressed. In certain situations in our lives, we will become distressed. We will become greatly afraid. But if you just say, but, 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 but God, <laughs> God, the Lord's perspective of this is he, his word says this, and he's faithful to do this, and we know that the, there's no weapon can be formed against us, <laughs> so there's no one is bigger than our God. Verse 28. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what, I, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the, one, the first ones did. 
His brother's stressed, brother's being a little, feeling a little bit um, ashamed, probably feeling a little guilty, because his little brother just outshined him. David's not the one with the pride. The one calling him out is the one that has the pride. His oldest brother, Eliab, is, has tremendous pride. And here again, his little brother's the one who got anointed by the oil by the high priest Samuel. And here he's coming in and he's actually outshining him once again by just calling the truth and, and having a Lord's perspective, a God's perspective about things. And when people who say they think they are godly and you hear someone else doing something that's like, how did you get to do that? How can you do that? How did you get to be able to do this? And all? The person who has a pride issue because they're not living up to God's perspective. Well, turn on them. You always see it turn on them. See it even in the workplace today. Take God's perspective out. Just look in the workplace. People get very prideful. You've been working there for years. And some young gal or guy comes in and just have a different perspective. Fresh perspective. You, you're burned out. A new person comes in with all this just energy and new ideas and thoughts and stuff. Instead of saying, hey, let's get this energy, this fresh wood to burn. Let's get we're all work together in synergy make this happen and, and make it a better place. No, no, usually the other people are so prideful they'll turn on them, try to destroy them, push them out. It's just, it's that ungodly nature that is in us of pride. And so we find here, we might... You would think, you know, you would think David's visit here. I brought you food, you and the brothers. I'm here to encourage you. My dad's the one that sent me. He didn't ask any questions, you know. But the David's words angered. Why? Because I think he was angered because he felt David was insignificant. You're my little brother. You're worthless. You're just taking care of a few sheep. You shouldn't be doing man's work. You're too young. Maybe uh, you know, a prideful man will always look at another person and think they know the heart of that person. He even called them out. I know your pride and your insolence of your heart. No, you don't know the heart. You don't really know David's heart, brother. You may think you do, but you do not. Because only God knows the heart, right? Jeremiah 17.10. Only God knows the heart alone. But here's his older brother thinking he knows exactly what his motive is. Maybe he was angry because he thought David tried to provoke someone else into fighting Goliath just so he could see a fight. Come on. You can do it. Go get it. Because he's just looking for a spectation, a spectacle, and just watch the fight. And you see that in high school days. Or people are always just pushing people to get into fights just to entertain themselves. It's dark. But that's not his motivation. <laughs> really why he was angry? Because David was right. David was right. And when you are dismayed and greatly afraid and dreadfully afraid and losing emotions and control, the last thing in the world you want someone to telling you to, to be is courageous. <laughs> That's why you have to be very careful. If someone's really in a bad space, don't walk in and just 
just, just like casually say, be strong and good courage. <laughs> that will provoke people. You got to kind of come in a little more gently and, and not just provoke and push and tell them, be strong and be a good courage. No, they're really hurting and afraid and think you got to kind of meet them a little bit halfway and bring them to a point of understanding that God can give them the courage they need to deal with the, the, the enemy at hand. But David's response is like, like a little brother. I like, kind of like it. What have I done now? <laughs> I've caused problem again. I mean, as a little brother, I always was asking, what did I do now? Why are you beating me up now? You know, it's like, what did I do? But David didn't back down, did he? David stuck to his position because he knew it was true. Even though, no doubt, the words from his older brother hurt him to the core, it didn't matter. He still was going to tell the truth. It was going to let him hinder. It was going to hinder him from doing, saying what was right and true. Because David kept concerned with God's cause before everything else. It was all about God and his cause and not about other people's feelings and everything else. This was true. Or even before his own personal safety. He's there in amongst the, the war. He's not prepared. He was just coming out of the taking care of sheep and delivering some food. He wasn't prepared to go into a battle. So even his own safety, he was there amongst that. Why? Because he had a passionate concern for God's cause. Not his own cause, but God's cause. Because David was more concerned with God than with his own feelings that he was being attacked by his older brother. Because he was misunderstood. He was publicly rebuked by his older brother in front of all these people. But that didn't back, David didn't back down because he knew what he was right in, in his statement. Because he was focused on God. It wasn't about him. So his feelings are not going to get hurt. When you're doing and focused on what God's cause is. You get hurt because when you're wrapped up in your own cause. But he showed strength here. We would refer to this as he had the armor of God on going in to, to tell his little brothers hi. He had the armor of God. He was ready and prepared for whatever was going to happen. He had his armor on spiritually. The armor of God in his life, and he responded rightly. He didn't care about the glory or success. Only for the glory and success of the Lord's cause. Because in his mind... Goliath was a dead man. Before it even happened, he, that man's a dead man. God's going to take care of it. He's out. He's going to be, he's, he's taken out. Whoever's going to do it, it's going to, it's going to happen. The battle has already been won. Even Elib's hurtful words cannot get David in the flesh and out of step with the Spirit of the Lord. Because if he did all of a sudden get deflated by his brother by just these simple words, and wrapped up his own little feelings because he had a little cause and situation, then what would happen is he would, David would lose his strength. He would lose focus. He wouldn't be, stay strong in true faith. He wouldn't be walking in that spirit. 
But no, David did not get distracted by what other people's thinks and thoughts and feelings are. He wrapped in, doing, I'm doing what God's cause is here. That's when you see David ruled his spirit and answered softly back toward his big brother. Truly, David is a great example for you and I. For us to step with the spirit of the Lord each and every day as we go through. We're going to meet the Goliaths or we might even meet family members as David had that will come against him for for speaking truth. Whenever you and I Step out by faith to fight the enemy that's in front of us. The the situation that we're dealing with. You You and I have to always remember, there is always seems to be someone that will be around to discourage you and I. It can happen in any place or anyone and even can happen in our own home. But when your mind is so set on walking in the spirit and in truth and according to God's cause, let us learn what David's response was. Not get wrapped up in his feelings of how his brother talked to him or discouraged him or public rebuked him in front of everybody. May we be like David where we do not lose step with the spirit and just give a soft answer back. Verse 31, now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. (laughs) It wasn't like a real bold statement. He's not like, you know, like you're all pumped up warrior and the, the commander called you and you walk in in his office. It's like, commander, I'm, I'm, I'm ready, man. I am just so pumped. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to just, I'm going to take my bare hands and I'm going to rip apart. I'm a trained warrior. You know, he, he didn't do that. This wasn't emotion. He had the settled peace and the strength from the Lord. The spirit was with him. He had this sense of just a quiet strength. And he just quietly, gently said, let man, no man's heart fail. Why? Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. I'm going to do it. Now, think about that. David coming in, Saul towering over him. He's the king. He's asking, David, Saul's been probably, oh, please send someone out of the army to go against Goliath and not me. I mean, he's probably thinking all kinds of things. He didn't come up, he just simply told him. I don't need to impress you with my words or my actions I just need to have that quiet strength of just that steadiness of knowing 
that he, was, he, he knew that the Lord was with him to do this work. He didn't have to convince people. He just made the statement of what is true and right because he knew the Spirit of God was directing him to do that. See, Saul had been waiting a long time, 40 days for someone to step up and say, I will go fight Goliath. Twice a day, for 40 days, they had to hear the taunting. For 40 days, twice each day, they, the army was looking to Saul, the king, to answer, the, how are you going to solve this problem, king? And this is a big problem. What, look at what, how this is all making us feel and getting deflated. But to hear now from this little shepherd boy out of his mouth and says, the good news is, is I'm, going to go, I'm going to be the one that's going to go fight Goliath. I don't know about the king if he's going to feel confident about that at all. The good news is someone's stepping up to go fight Goliath. The bad news is it's a little young shepherd boy. <laughs> he's not even old enough to fight yet in the, in the army. But think about, as I ponder on this, think about how God used these simple, steady, and confident words. Let no man's heart fail because of him. He's, he's basically saying, you all just calm down. Calm down. I've got this situation completely under control. You would think you would think that's ridiculous. This teenage boy is, is telling us to calm down. Is he, he's got this youthful pride, this overconfidence, like some young teenagers can have because they really don't understand what, exactly what they're saying. But that he said it. Your servant's going to go. I'm going to do the hard thing. I'm going to fight this Philistine. I'm volunteering to go and battle Goliath. This is free will to go do this. No one's forcing me to do it. Because the enemy that's coming against God and God's people has to be dealt with. And it was more important for David to see that God's cause be dealt with than his own safety and his own reputation or own abilities or what youth versus older all these other things that can hinder people from being able to be used by God so what happens verse 33 and Saul said to David you are able to go to against this Philistine to fight with him for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep, used to keep uh, his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Wow, that is like, you can see the scene. <laughs> Saul's like, you're youth. This guy has been fighting from youth. You're a little pipsqueak compared to this guy. You've ever been around someone who's nine feet tall? We've had someone who's been quite tall, not nine feet. And I'm like, you're sitting, you're looking at the hip. I mean, if at the most, if you're shorter than I am, you'd be less than the hip. You're length of the man's leg. It's like a little toddler grabbing a hold of daddy's leg. It's that same concept. Holding on to the leg as dad moving around and the kids holding on tight, you know. He says, don't miss this. David is saying, Saul, I have already been tested. In my young age, I've already been tested. I've had a lion and a bear come against me. I've had to go chase it. I've had to kill it. I had to save that land or lands. And God, look at what he says. God is the one who gave me the ability to do it. And because of that, he had great confidence that God was giving and giving him the go, the green light, the confidence, the faith to go take this giant out. See, God doesn't take you from this little child who's never been tested and use him in the ministry to do great and hard things without being tested first through trials and tribulations and meeting giants like lions and bears and things that want to kill you. And then watch God bring you through each of those battles, through each of those very serious situations and consequences, all kinds of things you're doing. And God is all along is preparing you as a young man or a young woman to do great things for God when it really becomes a big deal. Like now it's not just small battles within, behind, and no one knows. But these are now because of your growing and maturing. Now God's going to use you that's more public. This is a big national news. <laughs> this has now been passed down for a couple thousand years here. But think about that. God had, this is the pattern how God works. David had been tested. God is going to test you and I in the ministry, in life. He'll bring you through situations that you are not going to like at all. But if you will trust by faith in God bringing you through that and doing it God's way, it's going to be built upon you this, this maturity so that it, through faith to faith to faith, these situations to situations, he's building you up, something you don't even know what he's going to use it for. It may be years later, just like David. He, young guy, going through as a shepherd boy, thinking, what, is this? what kind of life is this? And, and the shepherd is not a good position to be in. And what are people thinking? I'm just a shepherd boy, and I haven't really moved and gotten done anything bigger and better, and I haven't, I haven't got my name out there yet. Stop. Just be faithful where God has you, and as you're being faithful, God takes you and is building these situations up to do great things for him. It may be years later, 
But everything that he's brought you through is going to be used by God because he used those to prepare you for the bigger things. If you're faithful in the small things, you'll be faithful in the bigger things. So we find it here very beautiful that David just laid it all out. God was faithful then for me to bring me through the lion and bear. He'll be faithful to me to take out Goliath. Now notice, he hasn't come up with any situation of how he's going to do it. Just by hearing the testing of what he went through in life, Saul responded, go, the Lord be with you. He didn't sit there and say, Initially, but look at what he does do. All of a sudden you see kind of like that Saul moment. The Lord be with you. But then Saul then leans into his own understanding here. Don't don't miss this part because it's it's an interesting thing how this all plays out. But but we see that David increased in boldness through this, this story of the progress of this story. Notice, he said someone should fight Goliath for a righteous cause. He saw that in verses 26 and 29. Then he moved in, then he said he would fight Goliath in verse 32. Now he says he's going to kill Goliath. Now I bring that out because when it stood out for me when reading this over and over, I find that's the same thing in ministry. Serving God, wherever, you'll start off by saying a conversation like, I think we should be doing this ministry. Oh, that's good. Lord's showing you to do this ministry. And you kind, of, you kind of talk it through a little bit. And, and I'm sitting there going, well, God's called you to that. He hasn't called me to do that. So how do I, you want me to help you to start that ministry? If it's in line with the word of God and it's good and right for the people, hey, we're, here to, we're here to encourage you to do something. But if it's really of God, it goes from, I think we should have this versus trying to find someone else to do it. That you actually... God works and goes from, I think we should do this ministry, to I'm going to do this ministry. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm going to take a step to do this ministry. I think, I think this is good and right for, for God's people, for God's cause. But ultimately, it won't be just words. Not passive, turn to positive and active, but now you'll actually take steps and actually do, start doing the ministry. You'll start taking steps of faith. even when, no, You're not sure how that's all going to work out. But you'll start taking it. Why? Because God's cause. You're willing to take a steps of faith for God's cause. For God's people. That's how the ministry works. And you'll know, just like David, the Lord will deliver me. The Lord will empower me and equip me because the Bible tells me so. To do anything that he's called me to do. Fatherhood, motherhood. That's a huge ministries. This takes a step of faith. So as we take a look at this, and he's got this history, and, and, and certainly Saul's hearing it. Verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor. <laughs> the Lord be with you, but I'm going to give you all my armor. Right by reading that, and you start verse 38, you already know there's something wrong. Why? Because you already know the scripture. He was very big. <laughs> Saul was very big. David wasn't, he's a ruddy little guy. He's not Saul. 
But Saul was just taking, I think he's almost like a dad to his son. Boy, I, let me help you because I'm feeling really bad right now. You're the one going out there and I got I gotta, whatever I need to do to help you <laughs> to go to, to do this hard thing to face the giant. That's what I think was happening because he says, David took his armor and gave it to him. And he put on the bronze helmet on his head and he also clothed him with the coat of mail or that, that, that fish scale armor that uh, is what it is. Um, David fastened his sword to his, to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine so that what happens you know oh you want to start the ministry you want to do these things hey let's just give you all these things and we're going to do this and do this and and you can use this and I've done this and I've tried this and we see Saul was leaning on his natural understanding here in this moment in the flesh He's looking at the outside, mere outside flesh, nothing about anything else other than you need to have armor. If you're going to go out there and beat Goliath, you're going to have to have armor. You're going to have to need something to protect you. But David tried to put on his, someone else's armor, and it didn't work. Physically, it did not fit, first of all. But that's not how God was going to use and what he prepared to David to do. He didn't go out as a shepherd in armor to protect against the lion and the, the bears. Everything was too big. Everything was not natural. It wasn't good. It wasn't right. It was just all outside. But all this military technology and all this human wisdom was not going to help David. Because it's a spiritual fit that David was dealing with. It was a spiritual armor that he had. The Lord God of Israel would win this battle. And that's so true in the ministry today of, of what we do. Often people try to fight with another person's armor. They see God doing something wonderful through someone else and then they turn and try to copy it, really trying to, to apply it to themselves when it doesn't fit. That's not how God's going to work through you. That's how we work through them. That's not how they're going to work through you. But the sad part is people would say that the same About the armor of God. I cannot walk with these because I have not tested them. Because many people, even in the ministry, will try to use fleshly armor and fleshly ways and fleshly weapons versus weapons and armor of the Spirit. They're looking to technology to try to do God's work gimmicks and marketing schemes and competitions within the ministry raffle 
Bibles and all kinds of stuff to try to accomplish God's work. That is not how we do it. Anytime you start thinking we need this little gadget and we got to do this and this is going to help, we got to watch out. Spirit doesn't need any of that technology or worldly company ways. He doesn't need a marketing team to build his church. So many times when the Spirit has left that church, they use worldly ways to try to keep it, some kind of life in it. It's on a respirator. Someone's bagging that church to keep it going because the Spirit has left. We want the Spirit of God to move in this church. And we don't want to grieve the Spirit. We want to do it God's way in the Spirit and in truth. So David boldly said, King Saul, I, don't need your, I, I can't use your armor. I'm not going to do it your way. This is not how it is. This is, I need to do it God's way. Free. Do it. Exa- well, he's trained me up to do exactly how he wants me to do here. He's not, even David didn't even look like some, some try to please, be a man pleaser here to the king with some middle ground says, okay, I'm, I refuse to do anything you're doing, but I will put your helmet on just to make you feel good. No, David's like, no, I want nothing. I, I only need what God is telling me to do, and I just need my sling. I'm getting five rocks. I already have the pouch. I already have the sling. I just need to get the five rocks that comes from the little creek here and put it in my pouch. That's all I need. Now, so many people always ask, why five stones? He only used one. We don't know why. Some say it's because he had uh, four other <laughs> big relatives that were probably up there somewhere in the crowd. Uh, because later on, we see in 2 Samuel 21, verses 18 through 22, David and associates actually killed those other four relatives who were big like him. So maybe he knew they were there and they were wondering if, okay, I see the big dudes right there. You're backing up your big, you know, whosoever was the biggest. But Goliath's coming. I can see the other four. Okay, I better have one just in case four more comes out. Those coming out. I got some more stones to take care of. Whatever it is, I don't know. But all we do know is he grabbed the five stones. He only needed the one. And he drew near the Philistine. He didn't wait for the Philistine Goliath to come to him. He drew, he took the step of faith. He moved toward the enemy. He could have started trash talking and and all kinds of things across the valley to this Goliath, but he didn't. David went moving. It didn't wasn't just talk here. David had the faith to go beyond the talk and into the action of taking the steps forward. Not just renouncing them. Not just talking trash talk. But he, that it's real faith that he demonstrated by drawing near the Philistine. Verse 41. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield, remember his armor bearer, the little guy was with him still, went before him, and when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, a ruddy, good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, 
Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. <laughs> you can see the big guy you know, looking down. You're it. He was so disrespected, so prideful as a man. He was all so disrespected. You know he, he was, right? You think I'm a dog? That's the lowest form. You think I'm not worthy? This is what you're going to send out as you? <laughs> Such a disdainment, right? But noticed, there was absolutely nothing. Nothing in David that struck any fear or any respect in Goliath's heart at all. He felt insulted. And he asked the question. I mean, it's far worse, right? The, the, the word Caleb for dog is uh, used in the Deuteronomy 28, 23.18. It means almost like a male homosexual prostitute is what he was calling him. You look like a little girl. Goliath felt like he said sending David was an insult to his manhood. That's what he's basically saying in the, in the Hebrew here. I can't believe you, you're literally showing up like this. And he started cursing David. Because it was a, a spiritual issue, wasn't it? See, the battle was already over. Anyone with a spiritual understanding could finish the story right here. You already know the outcome by just that alone. But let's finish. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's a great weapon <laughs> of God. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you and take your head from you. He was very, very descriptive. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God of Israel. I'm not going to feed just your body to the birds. The entire Philistine army is going to be fed to the birds. <laughs> Goliath said, I'm just going to feed you to the birds. Did you notice that? Goliath, didn't you have enough faith? <laughs> the fact you can't take Israel's army or something? You just focused on the little guy. Then all this assembly shall know that the, God, uh, the Lord does not save with sword and spear. It's not the worldly things that you use that God uses to... to to bring enemies down. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. Absolutely. You can see that little guy looking up in those eyes, as, as whatever close they were. I don't know how close they were. They could have, I don't know how far you can sling a rock in a sling. I don't know. No one even talks about the distance. But all I know is a, close enough, to get the sling to hit that rock with some minimum force because God brought that force. 
But in the meantime, they're looking at down at him, and he's kind of looking, and you're like, if you could see probably David's eyes, the power of God just, ooh, the, the words must have been so solid, so steady, so confident, so, I mean, it must have had to have thumped that big Goliath's chest big time. But I guarantee you, David wasn't messing around. He was communicating with great confidence of what the Lord was going to do. Why? Because what did confidence did he have at that moment that the Lord was going to take out this giant? His past experience with the Lord. His present situation gives you the strength based on the previous situation that God has brought you with is what builds our faith for the next moment. So if you're finding yourself in a moment at this point in time tonight where you're dealing with a moment where you have to take a step of faith, you have to, to do what God's called to do for God's cause, not our cause, but God's cause and what God's calling you to do. And there is fear there's dismay setting in. People around you have, have, have rebuked you, called you out, do all kinds of things. Don't get swayed. Do what God's called his cause for your life. And trust on what he's already brought you through to empower you to can move forward according to God's word. Why? Because God directed him by his word. Directed his steps. He, David wasn't making this all up. And I need a break from the sheep. I need a break from the sheep. I, I need a break. Everyone needs a break. So I'm going to go to the battlefield just to observe the, the games. It's not like he did that. God simply told dad to put, tell the, the son, I need you to come get the food and take it to your brother. because it's, it's so practical how God moves and keeps us in such simple ways. But he had the confidence that there's no question in his mind. I mean, David so humbly said, God, he will give you into my hand. Why? Because it was our battle. God was with him. Verse 48. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to the meet David that David hastened and ran toward the army to the Philistines. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. What a scene. <laughs> what a scene. David's boldness. He drew near, quickly killed, uh, uh, killed the Goliath there, right? David ran, didn't run away. He didn't hide. He didn't panic. He didn't drop to his knees and pray. He, David hastened and ran and to meet that Philistine, did what God had already trained him to do with a sling and a rock, and God used those simple things with God's power to do great things. To accomplish 
what needed to be done. He didn't run. He didn't avoid. wasn't passive-aggressive here. He had the faith in God and what God wanted to do. And he knew God had already prepared him to do that work with the lion and the bear. But the amazing thing is, is that he threw that thing and it literally, the Philistine, <laughs> it's like the Philistine god Dagon fell right on his face before the Lord. Remember that in 1 Samuel 5, 2, 5? That's exactly what we're seeing here. The, the, the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell, fell on his face. Verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its seat and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that his champion was dead, they fled. I would expect so. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and the, to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sha'arahim, and even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent." <laughs> so he's collecting Goliath's armor. Isn't that fun? He collected his sword. Later on, we know that he uses that sword to battle. But David made sure the enemy was dead. You cannot mess around with sin. That enemy has to be dealt with. Make sure it's dead. Your spiritual enemies. You must kill them dead. That's what he's saying here. Right? David looked at the issue, the spiritual issues that are there, and those things that are giants in your life that seem to battle and come against you, you're not, you need to get them out. And we see here, David used Goliath's own sword to cut off his head. I like Psalm 57, 6. It just pairs well here. David writes this. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. He said he knew the, the, how many times the enemy was going to come against him. And so many times they'll build a pit to catch him and he actually catches themselves. You're going to come with a sword? That sword is actually going to be used against you and you will be taken out because of that. I have great confidence when I read these scriptures, when the enemy comes against and people come against, I don't have to worry about these things. God is going to use those. Whatever they're using to try to take me out is going to be turned against them and, and they're going to be taking them out. And I've seen it in my life. People coming against me all the time. God just turning those things around in the workplace. Turning these things around in the ministry. Turn these things around. Well, because, because God is with me. And when you have that confidence in your life, you don't have to worry about these enemies. You just have to let God guide your steps and to do what is right and speak according to God's calls. Once they saw their Philistine champion lost, they just scattered as fast as they can. 
The devil will never live up to his promises. And neither did their champion. Because of David's great faith and God working through his life, that encouraged everybody around them to flee, to go against the, the Philistines who were fleeing. <laughs> Isn't it great that David, who's a young man, never knew 1 Timothy 4.12? Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and in spirit and faith and in purity. That was David. David led by example and led Israel to victory. See, David took that head of that Philistine, brought it to Jerusalem, and put it, his armor in his tent. So since it was many years later that Jerusalem, if you, if you know the scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, David eventually brought Goliath's head to Jerusalem, right? But David was using the sword of Goliath later on in 1 Samuel 21, 9. We will see David had some, obviously used those things uh, in the remembrance of this battle that he just took uh, victory of. Verse 55 through 58, we'll close here. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? Wait, 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 Saul, what do you mean? Who is this man's youth? Uh, who is this son's, uh, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this man, this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So it's interesting when you get to that part and you go like, wait a minute, I thought Saul, you already had a relationship with David, right? David's the one that calmed you through those very desperate times of your spirit <laughs> and he calmed your soul. What happened here? Well, there are a lot of people have different views, but I think it, it really comes down to the fact that he did not recognize this mature man. This 10 to 12-year-old who was probably playing a harp, he wasn't even paying attention to him because he wasn't in his right mind. He just, someone was playing a harp. He didn't care who. He just played the harp to calm me down so it soothed my soul so that distressing spirit would leave me. He went back to go, David went back to do to sheep work, he's growing up. He's hit puberty. He's growing up. He's a young man. He's not yet 20. However old he is, now he's coming. He's probably much taller, much bigger, more of a young man. And he's sitting there going, who, who is your, your father? Well, keep in mind, he knows he's already promised whoever takes out Goliath is going to be my son-in-law, and I need to know who your parents are because I'm going to make arrangement with you to marry the prince, my, my, my princess, my, uh, my daughter. That could be the reason. Or the fact that he just didn't really recognize who's, who David was because he had grown up. Now, what's interesting, I love how God works here because now this is how 
David now comes into the scene. He was a little bit into the palace because he's playing the harp. He's seeing those kind of things. But now he's marrying his daughter. He is going to be in the palace. He's really going to be groomed up. He's really going to see exactly how to be king. And God is using these stepping stones through these experiences to bring him to where God wants to use him. It's amazing. Amazing story when you look at that. And David stayed humbled through all of this, this whole scene. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for us learning and growing and understanding as well, Lord, of not trusting in worldly things, fleshly things, gimmicks or technology and all these other things. Lord, we need to trust you. And what you're call, asking us and calling us and equipping us through life experiences, Lord, you've been using and we've been taking on lions and bears and all kinds of things through our lives, Lord, that we don't like to want to do and we try to avoid. But God, you allow those things in our lives so that we can grow and mature in these hard things. To stay faithful to you. To continue to grow in our faith and trusting in you with our lives and the purpose of, for our life that you've created. May we not lean on our own understanding, but truly, in all of our ways, acknowledge you and you direct our steps. You've been doing that for David, and there's clear, no question about how you, you took the steps here of David to bring to, for your people and to bring you glory and honor. May that be our lives, Lord. That through the things you're calling us to do to all your hard things, it brings honor and glory to you. May we be about your cause. In Jesus' name, amen.